Welcome to Femboldened, a podcast where inspiration meets aligned action, where science meets spirit, and where you've landed to enliven the bold within you. I'm your host, Angelica Pascone, multidimensional healer and empowerment coach, specializing in helping heart-centered high achievers like you to shatter their personal and professional self-built glass ceilings. Get ready to awaken to your truest potential as we dive deep into the emboldened stories, wisdom, and medicine of our fellow impact-driven visionaries to energize you into living your bold. The only question is, are you ready? Let's get started. Them Bolden. Hello, Femboldeners, and welcome to today's episode. I am very excited to introduce Sarah M. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah. Um, Sarah and I just met uh, seven minutes ago <laughs> and had a brief conversation. We met via Podmatch, and I'm I'm really so honored to to be talking with her and hearing her story today. To give you a little bit of background, Sarah has life lessons and gained wisdom that impacts others due to her experience of surviving the mass genocide of Cambodia. Her inspirational, award-winning book, How I Survived the Killing Fields, was honored in 2015. As a speaker, she shares how tenacity, perseverance, and faith are required values to conquer fear and reach success. Sarah speaks to help listeners refocus, build confidence, and develop self-leadership at conferences, seminars, churches, schools, TV, podcasts, radios, and more. Sarah operates a wellness business, Smart Healthy Living, and she also co-hosts a weekly live show on Facebook called A Thriving Conversation. Sarah, welcome to Femboldened. I'm so happy to have you. I'd love to know who is Sarah M. What's what's going on in your in your life in this very moment? Well, I'm Sarah M. Right now, I enjoy living in the beautiful state of Florida near Clearwater, and I'm just looking forward to the free time that I might have some time to go. <laughs> to go to the beach and walk barefoot. So that I'm Ooh. dreaming about right now. <laughs> oh my goodness. Is that anywhere in the near future? Yes. Yes. Okay, good. Good. Oh, barefoot on the sand. What a beautiful image to share with me. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for that. Sarah, a lot of what you, you talk about are and in your platform, you've written a book all about your experiences during the mass genocide in Cambodia. I, I am very embarrassed to share that this is not something I learned about in school. Could you, could you give us a little bit of a history lesson before sharing your experience? Yes, sure. Um, a little bit of history about Cambodia. Um, back in the 70s, when I grew up, when I, I grew up in the countryside and my during that time, my country was peaceful mm. and we were uh, democratic. And before democratic, it was a royal, a royal, uh, royal country. We had the king and queen and all that. But 1970, um, they, they do not want the, the royal family to lead the country anymore. So they become a democratic and democracy. It's not, it's not purely democratic, it's democracy. So everybody 
is free and we have election and all that. But in 1975, there's a big event that's going on. The communist regime took over. That's when, when the mass genocide happened. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. to, to your knowledge, what was it between 1970 and 1975? What events had to take place for the Communist Party to take over? Well, I, I believe that the communists, they start forming their troop long before that. They, they don't like the way the country was. They, they think it's corrupted. There are a lot, of, a lot of people in the official office was corrupted. And that's what they saw. Mm. And they don't want it to continue. And they, they believe that communism is the way to go. So they took away the youth from the school mm. and they took some of the teachers as well, you know, lured them to come out to get trained. So they took them to the, the faraway place in the village, in the countryside. They... They, they trained the concept of communism. But what, they, what we didn't know until much later that they teach them how, how to hate all of us mm. in the country because the hatred was instilled the, to make them angry so that when, when they have time to come in to take over the country, they came in with madness, with anger. We, that's, that's why the chaotic, why the mass genocide happened. Nothing good come out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I think in a, in a few moments, I'd love to hear if you're seeing any similarities happen now in the U.S. with what you experienced in the 70s as far as um, you know, certain, uh, I don't want to say brainwashing, but, but instilling, like you said, instilling that ang- anger and hatred for others. Um, but I, I, I do want to hear, I mean, you did, <laughs> I have to commend you for being able to separate yourself and your experience while giving that short history lesson for us in that background, because I can imagine that it's, uh, um, reading about it, right? Hearing the words is, is a lot easier than going through it. What, so may I ask how old you were while all of this was happening in 1975? I was 21. You were young. Yeah. I I was in college at that time. Okay. So I, I, I love to give you the, the stage here and, and, and share, share, as a 21-year-old college student, I guess, how, how did everything happen? And, and what, did you, what did you survive? Sure, yes. And I want to take one step back before I get to 21. Mm-hmm. So that bike story can also help for, helpful for the listener to understand where I'm coming from. How do I use my background, my bike story? to handle the, the most stressful, the most dangerous time of my life. Beautiful. So, yeah, 
I, I grew up in the village in the countryside as a farmer's kid. And I was the firstborn child. And as you can imagine, a firstborn in the family, I feel so loved and pampered and I feel secure. Mm-hmm. And my, my family loved me. And my, my living environment is beautiful. It's peaceful, a lot of vegetation, the tropical uh, environment, the flower, the plant, the fruits, and the river um, next to our house. So it was peaceful. It's, it's almost like <laughs> I want to go back there right now because it's so peaceful and serene. But my family, my my parents especially, do not want me to grow up as a farmer because they know farming is very hard work. So they always encourage me to keep staying in school, do well in school. So that mindset, it just stay in, stay in me, with me, but when I was like uh, about 13 years old, my something very bad happened in, to our family. My mom had an accident and she became paralyzed. And my mom is like a, a breadwinner. She's very clever in, in business. After, during the farming, she does farming. During the break between season, she liked to do business. She's really good at it. And when mom become paralyzed, nothing happened. You know, everything, everything just stopped. Nothing, nothing going on. So I become a caregiver. I took care of my mom with my love in my heart. I want her to get better. So that caring for her creates such a strong bond with mom and me we become so close and we love each other and we realize that we love each other and then fast forward four years later my mom got better wow and unbelievable but she became she she got well but not to a hundred percent but she was able to walk again and she's uh, she continued to do business to earn some income so she can send me to college mm. when i when i had an opportunity to attend college i went i went away from home because college is far away in the big city and it's about pretty close to 300 miles away it's not that far, but it's not that close either. Mm-hmm. While uh, during the time that I was attending college and everything, in 1975, the communist Khmer took over the country. Mm-hmm. And during that time, they sh- uh, everything was shut down because Cambodia would just celebrate the New Year, New Year celebration. So that means the school, the university, marketplace, everything was shut down. And then when they came in, 
everything continue to shut down. Mm. That means including the transportation, including the communication line. Mm. And when they they came in, everything was in the in the stop still, nothing moving. And then immediately the next day they start to evacuate people out of the city. So that means I need to leave, I have to leave everything behind. Walk away from everything without knowing where to go. Mm. So we were pushed to go away from the city. And during this time, it was a very turbulent time. Everybody was trying to reach out to their family and so on. I couldn't reach out to my family. Mm-hmm. I have I have no way to reach out to find out where what happened to them. Mm-hmm. So with that in my mind, I keep that in my mind, my family. I want my family. I want to go home and to help out. So that's my my thinking all along. I can do everything to keep me alive long enough so that I can go home. Mm. I end up in the, in the faraway village, and then within a few more weeks, I was transported to a different place. So finally, I end up in the big camp. This is a work camp. Mm. In this camp, um, there were 1,000 young uh, single people, men and women. They forced us to work extremely long hours in the heat, in the, in the intense hot sun, in the tropical country, in the average uh, <clears throat> about 100 degrees. We were under that hot sun all day long for 15, 16 hours a day. And we have only a few hours of sleep. And on top of that, we receive very little food. So we were hungry, exhausted, sleepy, and eventually we got sick. Many of us got very sick. I started out with high fever and then malaria and then typhoid, and then a few other things. Mm. So at one time, I carry all this together. As you can imagine, I became very sick, and there's nothing to help me. But I still had to go to work, because if I don't work, I would not get that little food that they have for everyone. So I push myself to work until one day I can't. I can't keep going like that. I'm just too sick. So when you reach that point, they don't want you to stay in the same camp as the working people. So they sent me to a place. They said, you need to go to the hospital. But when I get to that hospital, I realized this is not a regular hospital. Mm. It's the place where very sick people wait for the time to die. They don't have anything to help us get better. 
So I realized this is a more dangerous place. So I need to find my way out from there. So I, I try, I try to find my way, but I don't know how, how I, I cannot go back to the workplace because I can't work. I cannot run away because the armed guard is watching all over. Um, I will get shot right away if I run away. So I start to pray. At that time, I believe since I was young, I had this sense of uh, belief that there is God. It, that's all I know. Mm-hmm. That's all I, I know. And I want, I want to, uh, to pray and cry out to that God to help me mm-hmm. to survive because I, I just want to survive long enough so that if everything change, I will still alive, still have a chance to go find my family. So my family is on my top, my top priority. So when I pray every night for many, many nights, one morning when I woke up, I feel like a little, I have a little bit extra energy. So I feel like I'm, I'm going to sneak out. So very early in the morning when when nobody really care because it's too early in the morning. So I sneak out from there. And somebody saw me at the other side and that person happened to be a very kind person. Mm. And she um, eventually, she find me a job working in the kitchen. That's the only thing I can do because I was very sick. So that was a life-saving situation for me. And I, I believe that God made that happen. Mm. I'm true, I truly believe that. So after working in the kitchen, I, I have extra food to eat. I have um, time to rest. I sleep a little bit longer and I work in the shade. Mm. So I found myself feeling better, better every day. I'm gradually uh, getting better. And finally, I recover from most of my illness, not 100% yet. But when this, the, the big boss saw, what happened, they pulled me out from the kitchen and throw me back into the right field again. Mm. So um, back to the right field. I cannot say that I'm angry. Rather, I was pretty calm knowing that without having opportunity to work in the kitchen, I probably did not make it. So I'm grateful that I have that chance to recover myself. Mm-hmm. So going back to the right field, I endure four years, four long years. So I struggle and my the hard work and the the harsh condition and starvation, all that. Um, but at the end of four years, 
this camp was moved. They moved the camp closer and closer to the jungle. Mm. And, uh, and I realized we are moving closer to the jungle. That's the wrong direction for me. I want to go to find my family. My family, my hometown is not in the jungle. And I realized I need to, I need to find my way out of this, out of this situation. So I'm pretty much in captivity. Wherever we go, there was armed guard around watching over us. If we make a wrong move, we'll get shot on the spot. But I still believe that my family is more important. Mm. So I I make plan to escape, mm. to get out from the jungle. So without telling the whole story, it's a lot longer than uh, than the time allowed. I get a three my of my close friend to to go with me to escape with me, and my friends agree mm. to come along. So we we made it out. Wow. We were successful out of the jungle. It's a miracle. Uh, you know, if you ever have a chance to read my book, you mm. can tell. It's a miracle because the jungle is very dark, very, you don't know where to go, what direction to turn. There's no GPS, of course. No, and I'm sure it comes with its own dangers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of animals, a lot of snakes, a lot of, you know, very uh, dangerous, but I still believe that God is protecting us. So. So that's my journey to escape, to get out from captivity. But I realized that after I got out, I found out that the whole country was liberated four months before Mm. I escaped. Mm. But if I did not escape, I was still in captivity until now. So even though it was late, compared to the rest of the country, but I was, I'm glad that I did it. So I'm, I'm so grateful that God protected my, my, my life. Mm. Um, so I finally found my family. Mm. No, to make it a short, short. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, and did your family experience anything similar? Yeah. Yeah. They they just um, because they are in a different province, they go to a different region, but the hardship is all over the country. Some place it's harsher, it's harder than my my camp. Mm. A lot of people they don't even get the, the scoop of rice. Sometimes they don't have anything to eat because um, they don't have enough food. So in some family lost a lot of family members because of the uh, execution mm-hmm. uh, this communist group they kill people that have background that dealing with the previous government mm-hmm. uh, pe- and also people with high education yeah 
they, they don't trust people with knowledge and education. So I, I am grateful that they didn't find me because I was a college student. But because of the different moves, different steps, they, they kind of lost track of me. But I'm not as important as the employee of the previous government. Right. Yeah. So. Wow. You, you had mentioned, and I was going to ask this, and you mentioned it um, before I, I was able to, in, in those, how, so was it, it, it was uh, over four years total? in the, in the camp, I imagine that there were strong relationships formed in order to survive with your friends, but I'm also, I guess I'm assuming too, that there were relationships lost in order to survive. Relationship loss uh, for me, not much loss. Oh, good. Because I um, I love people. I I'm just trying to be kind with other people, mm-hmm. and I will. We call it like a sisterhood type of of uh, environment. So I create like a circle of friendship. You know, people that you know we help each other out. When I was severely sick, at one point. Uh, for a long time during those four years, I became blind at night. Uh, there is a, a, an illness, it's called a night blindness. Mm. When every time when the sun goes down, you become blind. You cannot see anything. Mm. Um, there's still going on. A lot of people experience the night blind, blindness. It's not just in Cambodia, everywhere in the world. But but it's not as much as intense as as many people as Cambodia during that time because of the the malnutrition, the the starvation, because we don't have enough uh, nutrients. So it it's affects our vision. So when I became blind at night, um, I. I asked for help from my sister, my god sister that I developed friendship with. So they helped me out. <clears throat> At the same time, my I'm blind and I have a uh, typhoid. So I need to go to the bathroom very often. Mm-hmm. And there is no, no, no modern bathroom like we have in the, in the United States. You have to go in the wood. So I relied on my friend to help me. So I just tap on their shoulder, wake them up at the middle of the night to help me to go to the bathroom. And it's not just one time per night because with the stomach, um, with the, uh, the the infection, with the typhoid, you go to the bathroom many times. Mm-hmm. And can you imagine being blind? Blind at night, and I need to go to the bathroom out of the, in the wood. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I didn't tap on my neighbor's uh, shoulder. I tried to go by myself, and I tried to 
make a direction to come back to where I came from. I wander around. I got lost because when you cannot see anything, you don't have a sense of direction. Right. Right. And also, I'm sure, like, the threat of the guards being around, too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So, so I'm, wow. What a, what a blessing to have had that sisterhood and be able to take care of one another and really sacrifice each other's sleep to help each other out and and give the little bit that you each had during times that the others needed. Yes. Yes. Very valuable that everywhere, every situation we have, we are, we're facing, we need to build that type of support around us. Mm. You you had mentioned family being your priority in every moment of every day over those four plus years. What was your self-talk during those days? What what words, what what phrases were you saying to yourself so you could survive those 16 hours? of working 16 hours plus while sick, not eating for that length of time. My self-talk was that I have hope. I have hope. I have, I, I kind of envision a glimpse of light, mm-hmm. a glimpse of light that something is going to change. Mm-hmm. That little hope, it just gave me a spark of endurance. I endure because of that hope. And because of my faith, I believe, I believe, I believe that God exists. I believe that um, he will help us. He will help help our innocent people. So, um just out of um, naive thought, but have a deep faith, believe, believe that God will watch over us. Mm. So that, that's all I thought about. And I just imagine the love of my family, my, my mom and my brother, my baby brothers is so precious. When, when my mom was paralyzed, she had a, a new baby. Oh wow! At the same time that I carry for her, I carry for my baby brothers. Mm. So that was so precious to me that I keep imagine how happy we will be when we will be together again. Mm. I just imagine the joy, the happiness that we will, we will, we will have. So I would say to the listener, when you are going through hard time, imagine, imagine the end result. Mm, just, just create a vision for yourself. So. That's beautiful. How long was it from, I mean, and you may not know this, I'm not sure, from the time that you escaped to the time you were reunited with your your family, how long did that take? It's probably almost a month. Wow. Almost a month of walking. It's a wow. long, long walk. 
My yeah. And, yeah. and, and what was that reunion like? What emotions, what did your body feel like? Was there, I mean, I imagine there was relief, but I don't think relief even, even is the, the, I don't know if there's any words to describe. I'll, I'll let you, you share. <laughs> What is the word beyond happiness, beyond happy, uh, elated? Mm. So grateful, so grateful that we had that time together. And we hug, we cry, we laugh. And my little baby brother just hold on to my hand so tight. It, it, it just like he's expressing to me that you stay, you stay, don't go away anymore. So, you know, because I left home before all this happened, because I left, went to college, mm -hmm. and then the pandemic happened. So um, I use the word pandemic, it's, it's more than a current pandemic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, my mom later on, she told me that uh, my dad was riding the bicycle and went around the city, the town and asking people for uh, looking for my for me. He was asking everybody, have you seen my daughter? Have you seen my daughter? And, you know, he he was hoping somebody heard about me, but nobody. Nobody, because I was in a different region. I came from the another city, and uh, so so it totally different region. Mm -hmm. mm. My uh, goodness. So so essentially, was it closer to five years or more since you had seen them? Yeah, yeah, it's about five years. Wow, and that's. I mean, you're, you're, you had your little brother, so that's a big chunk of time for somebody who's little. I mean, big chunk of time for, for, for a grown up, but for somebody who's little to experience that, that loss. Um, and, you know, it's something I ha I'm very fortunate not to have experienced, but I've, I've heard and I've read that when there's missing people and there's that lack of closure, it's, it's, it's worse mentally, emotionally, physically, than if, if there was, uh, unfortunately, a, an actual physical loss, if there was a death, because there's still that unknown. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine having you come, come to their doorstep. I'm just imagining it. I don't know if that's how it happened, but mm -hmm. coming back to your doorstep and, and having you back. Oh my goodness. I, 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 I can't even palpate what what sort of emotions and feelings and love and really unraveling occurred for your family too. Yes. Ecstatic, ecstatic, that's the word. My, uh, my body was pretty much emaciated. I was like a skeleton. So they don't really recognize me until I speak up. Mm -hmm. I was, totally out of shape my my face looked like a an 80 90 years old woman mm. and my body was just a bone bone and skin 
My mother told me later on, you know, many years later, she told me that at that time when I came home the very first time, she said that she didn't recognize me. The only thing that she recognized me was my forehead. Well, I'm sure because she kissed it so many times, she would know that. Yeah, forehead yeah, because she, she knows me and she look at that forehead all the time. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so I imagine, you know, there was a, a, and I don't, how, how much time went on after that reunion in which you you had your grieving moments and your emotions and a, a roller coaster and anger and sadness and happiness and and holding all of that. So I'd love to know how you managed to hold all those emotions at once, but also what the journey through healing was like for you too. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> after I reunited with my family, <clears throat> the first step was the physical healing. Mm. My mom nurtured me with her wonderful uh, organic food. Of course, everything was from her own garden. Mm -hmm. And uh, I eat. And at that time, I was thinking, I'd rather be fat than being skinny and sick and tired. So I keep eating Mm -hmm. (laughs) until eventually I became fat. But but uh, uh, there's one big issue that that my dad uh, was uh, helping me. He he went around and asking people because I stopped having my period mm. in 1975. Mm. During the time of evacuation, I I it was the middle of my period time. Mm. Oh, it it was like hell <laughs> i i was we we were walking in no bathroom no place nothing to change and all that it's just like oh the most miserable <sighs> uh, situation i experienced uh, since we escaped mm. but that was the last time mm. for the whole four years yeah. and then it it took us one more year one more year until I got everything back to normal again. Yeah. I guess my body was too shocked or. Well, and you weren't, you weren't getting the nutrients. You didn't have the reserves to, to even sustain life, right? Your body, that's the whole, the point of menstruating is being able to, to build up the lining to sustain life. You, you, you were hardly sustaining your own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And then, and then I recover my my eyesight um, gradually after I have a good nutrition again. Mm-hmm. So my eyesight was restored back to normal. Wow. So, yeah, one whole year. But I did not think about the the anger, the the the, the sadness, whatever went behind me. I left it behind. Mm. All I was focusing on is my reunion, my new life, starting a new life, building uh, life again, all over again. At that time, the whole country was in the in the in the middle of rebuilding our life. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and with a new identity, really. Yeah. Yeah. We survive. We survive the punishment. They basically they the, the communist Khmeru, they punish us to see how strong we can be. If we can survive the hardship. Yeah. And you did. Yeah, a lot of people was executed because of their background and so on. So my own, my husband here, um, he lost everybody. Mm. His parents, his brother, sister, niece, and nephew. So he survived because he was in the United States at the time of everything happened. Mm. He came here for a special trip and uh, and he didn't go back. That that how he survived. Wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What I, I imagine now, whenever you're faced with challenges in life, I'm curious to know when they come up, how has your experience in the killing fields? shaped how you deal with those challenges, those obstacles when they do come up? When they do come up, of course I'm going through through stress like everybody else, but it's settled down quickly and I have a stronger faith now. Mm. I believe stronger that God is in control mm. and have faith and I have hope and I focus on gratitude. Mm. So I don't allow myself to get into too deep in stress and panic or anything. No, I don't panic anymore. Um, I, I stress a little bit shortly and then I, I pull myself out very quickly and I know that, you know, I've been through worse than this. This is nothing compared to my previous experience. So this, this also will pass. Mm. It will pass. Mm. So that's how I, I handle anything that come my way. It just, I, I have so much trust, so much trust in the process mm. that, God is looking over us. Mm. Mm, that's beautiful. You know, as you were sharing your story, I, I came to realize you know, I teach my clients that when, when you want something in life, whether it be, I don't know, a new car or to escape and survive, there is a balance between God, the universe, and your own actions. And I think you, you demonstrated that so powerfully through your experience of taking action while also having faith. And what, what an example to the rest of us. I mean, and, and it makes our, makes our challenges seem so trivial, right? Um, but we really can do anything. I mean, we're, 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 I think it are, we are we are born resilient, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's it was it's beautiful that you had that family love that just strengthened that resiliency, and gave you 
gave you, I don't want to say motivation. That seems too trivial of a word, but courage, courage, courage. Perfect. Yeah. That's much better. That courage to survive and to escape so that you could be reunited again. My goodness. I I really don't have any words (laughs) to share how, how grateful I am to you, to your experience, to sharing your experience. Um, and, and, and showing, I want to say sharing your strength of what it's like on the other side, who you, who you became, who you get to be, who you got to be because of where you've come from and the experiences you've had. And I think even experience is trivial. The, the trauma, the tragedy, all of that. I, I can't thank you enough for, for being here and being you and, and sharing these words of wisdom so that we, we can be better as, as, as individuals and as a collective, as humanity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mentioned before, I would love to know now that you're, you're in the U S and you've, you're coming here with your, uh, you've, you've seen it all in Cambodia. You've seen it all. Are you drawing similarities between what's happening in the U S right now and what you experienced in the, the, when in the early seventies before communism took over? Well, I, to be honest, I don't see it. Mm. I don't see it. Um, I see, well, there are some, some commotion, there's some racist, some hatred thing, but um, it's not strong enough. Mm. Not strong enough to, um, to make a big scene like in Cambodia. Mm. Mm. So I think, I think there are a lot more, um, more, more intelligent people Mm. than, than the small group of people, you know, the small group, they always make a scene. Um, Right now, there's a lot of Asian hate that's going on, but it's going to go past. It's going to pass because the Asian community is much stronger than they think because because we come from a rich background that uh, we are not here to destroy. We are not here to help build the country, to build the society. So we are here as a human being. So um, I think pretty soon people will realize that any nationality any race, any skin color, we are all the same. Yeah. We need to express the same kindness and compassion and love to one another. That's what will sustain our, our peaceful and safe safety in our in our environment. Mm-hmm. So what happened to Cambodia? Because of no kindness, because of anger, of madness and hate. So if we can eliminate the hate, the 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 hate, the, the resentment, the anger, the madness out of our out of our picture, we will be better as a society. So we will gather together, united 
together mm. as a human being instead of as a separate, you know, separate race. You know, that's that's my belief. Mm. Thank you for that. That's it's relieving <laughs> to hear that. You know, it, it's there. There, we're seeing the commotion as you as you worded it, but uh, it's relieving to hear that we're not headed in a similar direction as as we all fear or most of us fear right mm-hmm. what words of wisdom do you have to bestow on those who are overcoming challenges and, and maybe even challenges that are life um threatening and life changing To help them to overcome, I I would say don't give up hope. Mm. Hold on to that hope and have a, a sense of purpose that is bigger than yourself. Mm. Because uh, from my journey, by then, my sense of purpose was my family, big time. Mm. When you have something is bigger than yourself, you will you will be able to to sustain you will be able to win over whatever challenges so mm-hmm. um yeah have purpose and envision envision the the end result that you want to see mm-hmm. that mean you know have that hope have that faith believe that it's going to going to uh, take you to the end result mm-hmm. That's perfect. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think you have found your purpose, your new purpose after this new identity and and, uh, this shift in life came about. How how are you holding space for people now? Are there ways that our listeners can connect with you and dialogue further with you and, and I guess take in that wisdom of yours even more? Of course. Sure. Yes. I, my intention is to, to share my experience and to help people taking your pain to, to purpose. Mm, I love that pain to purpose. That's perfect. Pain to purpose. <laughs> oh, how wonderful. <laughs> yes. So um, I am offering 30 minute uh, discovery session. If you are going through hard time or you are not going through hard time, but you just want to explore, what can I do? What what is what is night? What what should I, you know, where should I go from here? So if you just want to connect and uh, have some discussion, I will be happy to. So you can go to my website, crm.com. That's perfect. And your and your book too. Yes, yes. My book is called How I Survived the Killing Fields. The mm. story of hope, love, and determination. Yes, that is a story, but in the story, it gives you a lot of hope, a mm. lot of a lot of faith and love. Yeah. The most important of all is love. When your heart is full of love, whatever you do, it would be better. Replace that love. Replace the 
replace the, the hatred and anger and bitterness with love and compassion. Mm. Oh, Sarah, I can't thank you enough for, for being here with me today and, and sharing your story. Where else can people find you? You mentioned your website. Um, are you on any social media platforms? Yes, I'm on LinkedIn. Perfect. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. It's a Sarah M. Speaker author. Perfect. Sarah M. Dash speaker dash author. Okay, and I'll be sure to put that in the show notes for our listeners too. Yeah, and I'm also on Facebook. Um, my my personal profile is is my last name spell an ex- with an extra M. So Sarah I M M. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's a long story, which we don't have time to do <laughs> right now. I feel like that's typically the case with social media, right? There's always a story involved. Yeah, it's because my last name is a little bit different and they didn't recognize that as a real name. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I had a sorority sister uh, with a similar issue. Her last name was Wu, just O-O. And, and they wouldn't, the banks wouldn't recognize that. So she had to put her whole name as one name. (laughs) So I get it. I get it, but I don't get it because I haven't had that experience. Yeah. So on, on Facebook and I'm also on, um, on Instagram, but I'm not really good at Instagram. I just have an account, but you can, (laughs) you can follow me. (laughs) Perfect. Oh my goodness. Sarah, it's been really such a profound pleasure to get to know you, to hear your story right off the bat. And and I know for me personally, going upstairs back to my life in just a few moments is I'm, I'm a completely different person and seeing the world with different lenses. So thank you. Thank you for, for sharing and, and simply being you and, and being a voice so others can, can learn as well. Thank you, Angelica. What you are doing here is wonderful, Mm -hmm. that you share the light, you share the story, you encourage people. That's all we do. We we cannot live by ourselves alone. We we are not made to be alone. We need to support each other. So that's what you do here. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you. Mm -hmm.